1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. I am here today with, I will hopefully not butcher this, Marguerite, also on Twitter as Queen Artist. Um, and I am excited and honored and humbled to be able to have a, a conversation on a, on a Friday at 6.11 Eastern time, at least. I know you just got back, you're in a, a different time zone on the West Coast. Um, and I, this is going to just be a conversation and, and I think hopefully in, inspire some people to think about all that's going on. And if you want to bundle it up into one term NFT or Web 3.0 or digital ownership, um, answer some questions, poke some holes at some things and allow us to think through some things differently. So I'm going to lob it to you in terms of uh, what do you do on a daily basis? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> so I have a, a non-traditional background in how I came into the space um, as a fine artist and a creative, creative technologist. From through my paths of Bitcoin and mining. So honestly, my conversations that I have every day um, are multifaceted in the sense that, so I'm currently the CEO of Blockade Games. Uh, Blockade Games is a video game company. We're producing uh, Neon District, which is a cyberpunk RPG that uses NFTs, which we're now the space is moving into the term NFT gaming. It was formerly blockchain gaming. Now mm -hmm. it looks like maybe if you have mm -hmm. NFTs, you should say NFT gaming. Mm -hmm. Anywho, uh, so anything from working with my development team about uh, our current you know, strategies with the game versus working with artists directly. So with my fine art background and as a curator in the space and a creative technologist, I still talk daily with lots of people that have ideas about NFTs and how to be more, um, I guess, integral with the what an NFT is and how that can complement their work as opposed to just being a vehicle mm -hmm. that their art rides on top. So because as we might discover as we're talking, that is a deep rabbit hole. Um, and then so I'm in, you can find me in Clubhouse, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me, I do one-on-ones, but also just I'm very excited about um, the idea of artists and creatives having this opportunity to take more ownership and control over their futures, um, their future, their work, their destiny, and not needing the third party to kind of dictate or gatekeep that mm -hmm. opportunity for them. As a fine artist, you know, a lot of times you can, it feels like galleries can be a gatekeeper. Um, also, it's expensive for artists to participate in a gallery because one, they can take up to 50% in a sale, but also the artists, it's usually on them to get the artwork to the galleries and all the work around that event, you might have a hundred people turn out to your opening show. Um, whereas unlocking digital content on the internet, now you have millions of people around the world have the opportunity to participate in a, what we call today, I guess, a drop, mm -hmm. um, which is essentially a, a gallery opening for an artist. Um, and so like that, that part is very real and we're seeing a lot of excitement around it, but um, it's not just for artists. I mean, this, like I'm with just mentioned earlier, a game, a game company. So how does unlocking digital content, which is transferable, um, how does that disrupt basically what we've known today as far as sales, marketing, and what it means for the artist? Amazing. And there's a million ways we can go off of that, but something that I think creative technologists, what came first for you, tech or, or art? Art. Oh. Art, definitely. I, um, 
I've always been someone that has asked a lot of questions. And um, in, so I've, in my fine art degree, I found myself, you know, you were challenged basically on why. Why are you making that choice? What decisions in this process, your creative process, all the way down to the, the materials you're using. Um, and I loved gaming. I've always loved gaming. And I think what Final were some Fantasy, of the first games. Yeah. So, um, I mean, going back to Nintendo, but one of the biggest impacts that had, a, like, I think because of the art mm-hmm. was Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. But if you experience Final Fantasy VII in real time, it was like, what just happened? Those cutscenes and the summons and just the entire experience of, and the music, it was an experience. Yeah. And so, um, that for me for gaming and the idea of the experience and driving, I mean, specializing your characters. So I'm a big nerd. I love RPGs. I love just that whole world. Um, so anyways, yep. So technology though, when I started using my GPUs to script, like mine script coins, mm-hmm. uh, and then realizing that people, the tokens essentially that you're mining, um, and then you can unlock more earning more Bitcoin through being successful on an early like script coin. Um, and they're branded fun. The thing is that it all felt like a game to me. Yeah. It all felt gamified. Um, and I just felt like the future for cryptocurrencies was always gaming. Does, do you ever feel like now it's all a game? Like life? It, oh yeah. No, everything's game. The, the gamification of everything. I mean, even marketing, right? Like yeah. everything yeah. is gamified. Oh, yeah. yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. So did and gaming so, get you into tech? Uh, yeah, I would say gaming got me into tech. I mean, I understood tech on a deep level because of gaming, because like I wanted a game better and I mm-hmm. wanted my experience to be better. So um, it was a driving force. Definitely. My brother, um, actually, who's three years older than I was, um, he received his entertainment arts master's from um, from a school and then went to go work for as a Disney Imagineer and then Electronic Arts as a game developer. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he brought over the first VR headset to our house to like demo. And this was, you know, in 20, 2009. Yeah. Um, so that was it been... like, it had to be run on like a big computer, right? No, 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 no. Standalone? So this, this, so maybe not the first, but like the, the one of the very early versions of the headset. Yep. Um, Oculus before it was purchased by Facebook, you mm-hmm, know, like, mm-hmm. um, at, at the time it made you sick instantly. You put that on and you were instantly sick. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, my brother definitely, and I had me being an artist, him being a gamer that we had this shared relationship growing up with. Um, and then when Bitcoin happened, I was surrounded. So from my family, we were all mining also Bitcoin. We set up a mining farm. We set up a Zcash mining farm. We had, I mean, in a big way, we like, it, the race and game of, of also playing the markets at the right time has been so exciting mm-hmm. um, and making these speculative bets on what you think is the future of this yep. space. When NFTs happened and dropped in 2018, 17, um, end of 2017, I've been, I was waiting as a, as a creative, as an artist for that meta token experience. Um, we, I participated with Counterparty in 2014, made one of the first like blockchain type games with Counterparty, with people like Andreas Antonopoulos and Adam B. Levine um, through token controlled access experiences. Um, anyways, so, so Counterparty was one of the first examples of a of a meta token that happened at the time. And that project went on for a few years after and still it's going on, but 
It's, a, it's, a, it's on top of Bitcoin. Uh, there was friction points there though that were really challenging as far as including users. So anyways, when CryptoKitties happened, it was definitely the time that I decided to set up my company. Before mm -hmm. that, I had just been a consultant um, using, I'd done something called crypto puzzles. Mm -hmm. So taking private keys and weaving them into digital and physical experiences to create basically treasure hunts. And mm -hmm. those treasure hunts leading to a mass amount of crypto prizes. They were gamified in the trails. If you're familiar with alternate reality gaming, definitely modeled after that. But it was a, this realization that those models are just for one player or a group of players to unlock the prize. Whereas it is possible with meta tokens to have create experiences where essentially everyone who participate in some degree wins. And that was basically what I set out to do was accomplish that. Anyways, let's go back to some more basic NFT questions or, or no, things. I love about. it. I'm like, what? there's a lot of things going through my head. One being that what I mentioned before we kind of started is my gaming life, like video games was my life. I loved it. And then, then the social gaming aspect came along. And I think inherently this generalized NFT con conversation, if you grew up playing video games and or then you started playing video games online and then the evolution of, you know, buying like the internet and video games then allowed, changed the game for developers because then it was like, okay, well, the actual cartridge or the disc or buying the game is just now a way to extract more dollars. And I think gamers inherently understand digital ownership more than like i think what's happening is actually confusing them more than they like <laughs> than they know naturally in their gut yeah well so did you play world of warcraft nope i did and i played it before they had the ability to transfer assets so you mm -hmm. had to start early and then you started with the class you, you did the grind which was terrible all the way up to level 20 mm -hmm. where you could get your ride or level 15 or 20. Uh, and then you, you'd realize, oh, that's not really the character I wanted. So you, because you would come up across someone else that had a really cool character and you'd be like, oh, I want that character. So then you would start over mm -hmm. and you do this grind and it was awful. Like, yeah. I think <laughs> it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible burnout experience. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of gamers have this thing where they just kind of drop off they yeah. realize maybe this isn't really worth a good use of my time. Mm -hmm. Even though it was fun, eventually, I think with a lot of games, you realize you're you're like a, a rat in a maze. Yeah. And what I love about what we're unlocking right now with NFTs and these assets and just the, the creative explosion is that we're making a, a bit deeper of an experience and something that you can start to turn in your time and receive value back for it. So it's not this total waste of time feeling. Yeah. It's like this entire generation that was told that they were wasting their time can now like fight back and be like, no, I'm at, like it's quote in one part work, right? It, the, the equation or the, the, and uh, Gary said, like, if you're doing something you love, it's not work, but it could still be work. Right. Cause you're getting paid where now it's like, you're going to be able to in gaming, be able to say, I put in those hours. Now I, I extracted value and ownership that isn't just simply entertainment or friends or escapism or what have you. Well, and the strategy-based skill-based gaming is a, so if we shift the conversation to esports, 
uh, there, there are careers here and mm-hmm. you're seeing college scholarships in this area. Mm-hmm. So while NFTs become a tool to better even monetize or capture that experience, we're seeing that gaming is actually a viable career path. Yeah. Um, and as being an influencer and adding, like combining the value of these things together, which with NFTs is extra interesting because if you're an influencer that picked up a sword in some sort of esports tournament to defeat you know, in the mm-hmm. final tournament, uh, that sword now could be potentially more valuable because of your association with your brand. And then yeah. like, it's, it's just a better way to like capture value. And um, I, I'm actually super interested in the esports space, which is healthy and growing all on its own. So yeah. the overlap here of combining NFTs and, and, and games, it's, it's actually so early right now. I bet oh, we're yeah. about like five to 10 years away from seeing this actually come to fruition uh, uh, like the vision we're all kind of starting to to wrap our heads around it's i've been just, thinking about sega yeah. genesis a lot uh-huh. because i remember like whole i remember the controller i remember playing tasmanian devil like i rem- i remember it and i remember it as fun and amazing and then i think about today where we're at and it's like a tangible thing and and i now spend so much time as i imagine you do of like google calendar to Google Hangout, to Zoom, to like this non-necessarily immersive environment that we can are finding ourselves having this conversation in right now. And I, I feel like I'm like, oh, this is the Sega Genesis to where we're going to end up being at. Yeah, well, in a, in a lot of different ways. I mean, the immersion and the skins and the NFT, I mean, oh my gosh, if you really want to get me going, um, combining ideas like mirror worlds and digital twins while it sounds crazy actually we have all the technology in place Mm -hmm. right now to do it have you seen some of the virtual influencers uh yes i have and i think it and that's that's one of my like oh uh it's so natural to gamers we we're maybe things are becoming almost confusing to them like i don't know if we would consider disguised toast but some of these like influencers that are anonymous or pseudonymous or whatever the terminology is but like People follow them and love their content. They don't know, you know, if they're a human or what they might be. It might be a, another person that's super famous that they know. And now that's two people. One person is two people that, yeah, I think there's a lot that's happening and, and why things will actually speed up more than maybe we realize because it's already semi occurring in that regard. There's a, maybe you can think of the name. I can't think of it right off the top of my head, but there's an influencer who she has like the, the controller, like her persona of being the controller of the Mm -hmm. virtual influencer and then herself as the virtual influencer. And what I found amazing was she has created skins in unity. So in real, she wears a suit and in real time, these skins will map to her and her conversations, her voice and everything is sound, real time sound. Um, and she can just push a button and change her whole look based on these skins. And there's no lag. Um, and so I can't help but think like, obviously these things should be NFTs Yeah. And just, and just the engagement, like some of the suits she has um, like words and text going across her body that the users are putting on her. Mm-hmm. So the gamification and what, like there's low hanging fruit here for gamification and just NFT applications. It's just a matter of reaching these content creators that are already on the technology side like have that edge and totally. then teaching them some creative strategies and how to monetize that in, in interesting ways. Well, that also make the experience better for the user. So I think um, that's one thing that we, 
I feel like we're missing at the moment in the mm -hmm. NFT space is that it's not so much about the user experience as much as it is we're validating that NFTs are a thing because of the sale price. Yeah. But in reality, there are there are opening this channel between consumer and content creator. Totally. Access, utility, what have you, connection, community. I Something I think about, and even as you just went there and, and I think about um, when people get big, you know, and then the agent and the manager comes into play. And then there's a lot of just conversation in the ear of like, why would you do that? Did you, did you get an extra 15%? You know, they offered this. Let me make sure we get 20 more percent. You know, and that flies in the face a lot of what you just mentioned. That flies in the face of like, why, right? It flies in the face of like, are you doing it? What's the reasoning behind adding, you know, the, the digital ownership aspect to it? I am definitely, I would call myself a Apple fanboy, I guess you can say. Um, I think that's kind of what, inspired me or, or a lot of my passion like the second i saw the iphone i'm like oh it makes sense they're gonna put apps on it you know and that's and then it took four years before the app store came out you know and and i think with gaming one thing i love fortnite i think fortnite was an amazing just new world of like hold on we're just hanging out with our friends what are we playing games what have you and and i see Fortnite, Epic Games going after Apple as like bad. They're evil, right? Yep. And then I sit here and I'm like, but if the, if they're, why can't I create my own skins and just sell them and upload them and sell them on Fortnite? Or yep. why don't I have the ability to sell what I have already purchased? You know, I actually get banned from the game if I give someone access to my account. Do you think, and I, I think I know your answer, and maybe I'm setting you up here a little bit. Do you think that the AAA studios are going to have the ability to innovate fast enough where they become players in this? Or is it going to be factioned off and the indie studios, if you want to call them indie or innovative studios, kind of these new things emerge? I think about EA Sports a lot and the billions of dollars that go into FIFA Ultimate Team. And then something like So Rare comes up. And it's like, well, I know where the future is, but I also know where the consumer currently lies, but things move fast. People are very conflicted right now because of this mentality of the walled garden, which is basically the model that all of these large studios have run on forever. Um, mm -hmm. There really is not a reason why, for example, um, Epic Games could not have collaborated with another huge game studio to have uh, interoperable assets today. Mm -hmm. They just don't because they're not trying to share users. They want to keep all their users and they keep, they come up with all their strategies as possible to keep them in their walled garden. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in my, our space that as game developers, you know, early conversations included interoperability and what about if you could do this, have this asset in one area, what does that mean in another application since it has this transference um, that's inherent to the nature of the blockchain asset? Well, well, not even, you don't even have to transfer it because the game app can just read your wallet. So you can yeah. literally do nothing and you have support in multiple game applications. Um, so there's a, conversation about like, is it better though for indie game developers to have that kind of capability because of the fact that um, you can tap into existing user bases to launch your product, whereas it's really hard to start from nothing and get, mm -hmm. uh, and so then you have to accumulate users out of nowhere. Whereas let's say, um, just 
like with NBA Top Shots. NBA Top Shots, you're seeing third-party developers come in and build exp- fantasy league experiences yep. for the, to tap into that user base. And so that model, though, is um, like NBA Top Shots is not going to stop people from doing that. That reinforces the value to the Correct. NBA experience. Yeah. Um, and like with our game, Neon District is very cyberpunk. So we tried pretty early on to just pretty much own the cyberpunk genre in this space. So if you're a cyberpunk brand, there's a good chance that we could probably partner, collaborate in some capacity. All of these companies, though, are businesses where we're not considered a AAA studio. We're still considered indie startup game devs, mm-hmm. essentially. Yep. Um, but indie, indie devs have had a pretty tough time breaking into the space. When you talk about Apple apps, how much money it takes to actually be seen in a like mobile game experience is insane. You have to have an crazy budget to, to even get noticed and have that user acquisition opportunity. Um, so in the that walled garden experience, I mean, there's a conversation to be had here that indie game the companies can build their own sort of experience, like walled garden experience, mm. where um, where users know that we're all looking to add as much value as possible to the overall experience. Yeah. Whereas in a centralized experience, you know the limitations of that are just to that company. Mm-hmm. And I think like if people are create like just curious that the other that you know, the former is a is a pretty intriguing opportunity. Whereas yeah. I, I, I understand like these indie game developers have not had the m- multiple million dollar budgets to build out 3d immersive game totally. worlds that are MMO, yeah. like on the, on the, um, on the same page as Fortnite, which if for people that maybe don't know this Fortnite had its game, which was campaign based. And then the battle Royale model came out and within a matter of Within a matter of three months, they pivoted to a battle royale based on all their assets that they had to create that sort of experience, which is where they actually became very sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyways, I just yeah, like these uh, no, I, I, are, yeah, I, I and I love it, and like that's where I, I just I don't know because even the indie you know developer or the path a lot of times is developed to then be acquired and, and to enter into that walled garden right? Like what is success? And I also think to what you were mentioning about discoverability and gatekeeperness in art as well is for every one major artist. And I would love your take because you might be like, you're dead wrong. You know, way more than me, but I think for every, you know, for lack of better term, Picasso or Van Gogh, there's a hundred or a thousand that maybe have the equal amount of talent or product, but people for what one reason or another never discovered them or the story wasn't there or didn't stick or history wasn't as kind to them or maybe serendipitous nature. The other person arrived to and the gallery person was like, you're you're with me. And then the guy showed up next and he's like, I got no slots left. Sorry. That is also, you know, a, and it plays into and where I'm going with this, but the art and tech aspect, left brain, right brain of now you also have to take into account building community. And it takes, it's a little bit more accountable because if we don't want gatekeepers, well, then you have to be good at more things or surround yourself with people who are incentivized similarly that have complementary skills. Yeah, no, I think those are, all great points. I do think, though, that um, 
to your point with artists and the gallery experience, I think that artists are just great market. Generally, they have to learn these business skills, marketing, growth hacking skills. Um, so now put into this space of, okay, I have this opportunity. How do I participate? But I think that there is this deeper conversation. Well, and okay. And also like the hype of like, oh, I'm an artist. There's NFTs are taking off. How can I participate? Like, this would be great for my brand if I could be noticed. Um, the creative process though, like your point about the story and the Picasso, the thing that really brings value is the story and the creative process. So often in art creation, uh, artists will be challenged on every single decision making point that they go through for whatever it is that they are producing and selling. And a lot of times, so, well, this is just something that's and a separate conversation probably, but artists have a really weird relationship with money. Mm. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. if you're selling it for money and you sold it, like, oh, are you a sellout now? Like, should you even be selling your artwork at all? Yep. So like, there's like this pure, like purity about the art process, which we're right now actively seeing come to a head because you have, I was in a clubhouse the other night where there was two Christie's like the auction house directors mm -hmm. one was all about NFTs and the, and the future of NFTs. And the others was the other one was like, this is an effing like cash grab and I just do not get it. Yeah. Um, and so the, the thing is, is that we're just so early. People don't understand that the NFTs become a digital canvas in which there is so much opportunity to create that into your entire experience. And I actually got into it the uh, today with the, some people because they were saying, well, an artist doesn't really need to make their paints or like the material in, in order to participate or to start. Okay, so a novice can use your cheap paints from the store, can buy the canvas and can make paint from a photo, some sort of render yeah. of an experience. Is that a master? No, your master probably does actually make their own paints. They probably do stretch their own canvases all the way down to the entire experience as far as the delivery of the experience of the art. The master has thought about these things. Mm -hmm. And even your brushstrokes. I mean, modern art was all about this conversation. So um, when we're talking about NFTs, this conversation didn't just like go away. Yeah. It just yeah. has to be like digested and, mm -hmm. and, and that'll there. take time and It'll that'll take, take time. time. And, and I am going to pull up because on your Twitter, you put up two things that I think speak to this just recently in the last 24 hours where the headline Kings of Leon, you know, first band to ever use NFT. And then like one side of the world's like, Oh my goodness. And then the other side were like, bullshit, like <laughs> bullshit, you know? And then, so there's this tweet, uh, Lane Eight Music said, "Big announcement! Instead of doing an NFT, pandering to the ultra rich while excluding the normal fans who built me up in the first place, all to make a quick buck. I've decided I'm just going to keep releasing my re keep releasing my music for everyone the normal way." And you added some context to it. Good thought-provoking thread. NFTs are a new type of digital canvas and should be used as a tool. Honestly, if an artist can't figure out how to mint their own NFTs themselves, I don't think they should be using this tool to monetize. Then I believe you followed that up. Maybe you were just on a similar, you know, thinking 12 hours later, you said in art curation, artists are asked to defend every decision they made during their creation process. 
It is being able to defend these choices that earns an artist and a body of work respect. It is the conversation around the work that reveals the genius of the artist. Exactly. And I believe this 100%. This is why, for example, you can have, and I, I said this later in, in response to someone, but you know, someone like Ad Reinhardt or Rothko as being more uh, valuable as far as their contributions versus someone like Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid was a genius at business and the process, but his creative process in itself, as far as challenging the viewer, is a different conversation. Mm-hmm. So like, yes, you can be great at business and that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing people that are maybe really great at business and marketing, but not necessarily offering something new in the way of, you know, what is the artistic conversation or challenge around the experience? Um, you do see people, I mean, Beeple actually has um, some really, so Beeple is an artist that has sold uh, some NFTs and he's someone that was famous already uh, to some extent in the art in the art space as a, as a digital painter, but his unboxing and the things he puts in his thoughtful pieces, it is clear that he is a master at a lot of things that he's doing. Mm-hmm. And so his onboarding to NFTs feels a lot more forgivable in the sense of um, how he is going about it in the sense that it's okay that maybe he had this huge sale because he is doubling down on his mastery across the board mm-hmm. in the experience. Um, Whereas you could have someone that they, they're not involved at all in the process. You can have someone using these drops as a service uh, businesses to just take work that has already existed. And I don't want to name names because I don't mm-hmm. want to like, yeah. and no bad blood, but people that use pre-existing work to just do a drop and monetize it without any actual thoughtful uh, about what an NFT is or about the interaction with the person buying it. And, and, and they themselves don't even know what an NFT term. is. Or how, it play, how, or how it plays out long-term. Yes, like what exactly. What is the, the value of it years from now? Exactly. There's a lot of people that haven't thought that through as far as, well, how do I support the fact that someone has bought this because they thought it was an investment? So how am I supporting that as an investment? Um, absolutely. And that's something with games. Actually, we see this with gaming right now, with the blockchain gaming. People will basically make a limited amount of assets for sale for a game and uh, it caters to whales, essentially. Mm-hmm. Whales buy them up as fast as possible. But the stagnation that follows that experience, because new users don't want to onboard into these experiences in which they lose, no matter what they do, they're going to yeah. lose because they can't afford to even participate. So that model just dies. And mm-hmm. the game, actually, the game industry knows this. We saw things with like the Diablo 3 auction house, um, where games took over the, the vertical ladder of power mm-hmm. and no one could play anymore. Yeah. It wasn't fun. Because was all toxic. the best assets to make you good at the game, there was no, it was just if you have the finances to do so. And largely the people that had the finances to do so had no interest in playing the game. When you see this today in blockchain gaming, mm-hmm. actually most of your whales do not, they don't play. Yeah. So if you want to create a game that actually has a wide appeal to millions of users, which economically is even better for the game company, um, as opposed while like you could do these opportunities that cater to the small few that do have a lot of crypto right now, and they can just drop tons of ETH on your sale. It's not sustainable. And if you want to build a viable business, you need to think bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any outside of what you're building uh, for, for the people that are listening that aren't 
well to do off, but want to start to understand, you know, like uh, Farmville was an amazing thing. One of my favorite games growing up was Harvest Moon 64 um, because of like just the, you put in some time and things grow and you get it. Are there any projects or games that you would kind of give a little hat tip to or some love for where where they're at or, or some games that people can can check out and and feel a little bit of that there's a okay so there's a few different models so crypto voxels and decentraland and sandbox are all open world um blockchain games and nft games the thing about them though that they're missing is they rely on the user to build the story and the game experience hmm. where where that's pretty difficult to, mm-hmm. to do You're that. You're asking so, a lot of your of the consumer. You're asking a lot of the player. Yeah, to build experiences in which you can have these uh, returning users, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, uh, you know, like so, like we were talking about NBA Top Shots. That's an incredible model, just because the speculation that can happen around a player and their career and the and then the team they're playing for. And that moment in time, I love that they call it moments because that's that's so true. These are like moments. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they've partnered with such a large IP mm-hmm. to make that valid, you're not going to be able to have another person basically come up with a NBA IP top mm-hmm. shot competitor because they don't have the rights for it. Yeah. So that's pretty powerful. I don't know how long that license will continue, but for the meanwhile, they because, have that. Because, and just to paint that picture, because if you're the NBA, you recreate it and build it yourself. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that story plays out. Yeah, you know, but like I do but know. When you think about business and leverage, it's like right. So it, the fact is, you people are investing a lot of money into these assets right now, and like, who knows what that yeah. how that IP play is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it does prove the demand, though. For and sure. So there are so Axie Infinity mm-hmm. is. Um, a great team. I've known them since, you know, the earliest days, 2018, uh, when they launched and they've done a very good job about building out their community and launching the different experiences. But there's very few games actually in reality that are trying to take on the challenge of building an immersive game experience Mm -hmm. with that long stand, like the ability to have this game economy that's sustainable. Yeah. And there's a couple of reasons why. One is that having an open economy is incredibly hard. It's so hard. It's so hard that like most game companies do not do it because it's just too risky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that they can't, they just don't. And it takes a unique human superpower. Like I, I read the Axie Infinity white paper and you're like, okay, these are humans that pretty much act counterintuitively to human nature in a way of putting themselves so far out there thinking so far ahead that they have so many steps to work backwards against kind of of like thinking about six, seven years from now of like how, what does this little thing we're doing impact how things play out in that regard? Right. And that's the thing about blockchain assets is they're forever. So, and when, when when it comes to capitalism and like Mm -hmm. our society and culture, it's not really, normal right yeah well that's where you see these art grabs where someone's doing a one-off art sale and that's it they don't have to support it that was the experience mm-hmm. um so while i think games are the more powerful platform 
the support that has to follow that is incredible. You do have, um, so there are a few different projects like Avastars and uh, they have something, I think it's like NFT42 and he has something else coming. His name is Jimmy. One of my favorite critics of the NFT space because he gets really after people about um, basically things being on chain versus not on chain. Mm -hmm. And the fact that his NFTs, when he ships products, the SVGs of the art is on chain. So when you buy something, it's not going to disappear. The experience is all right there. And they've rendered through their different composability uh, aspects, but a Jimmy, lot of, where can people find more about Jimmy? Jimmy? So Jimmy, so if you were to search Twitter for J1MMY, you'll find him. Cool. J1MMY um, on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, he is definitely um, one of the largest critics about a lot of applications today. And he, and he has a new project coming. Um, that's exciting. So anyways, that conversation about on-chain, player-owned, is real. We're gonna see. We're gonna see probably over the next ten years people that made really big investments into things that are gonna just disappear, like as if mm-hmm. they were vaporware. Mm-hmm. Um, when you know these conversations, it's not that it was a scam, as much as people just weren't educated mm-hmm. about what they were buying or buying into. I do believe that artists and people participating in the space right now have just been conditioned to being great at growth hacking and marketing. Mm-hmm. And so therefore they're going to lean into that skill set in a big way to get brand recognition, to participate in this growing economy so that they can have a foothold in it. But that doesn't mean that they actually understand what the technology is all about. Mm-hmm. And that's why when I said in that comment in that tweet you read is if you can't actually mint your own NFT, I really don't think you have any business in selling it because you're you're giving people some sort of promise that you know what you're doing. And if you don't understand NFTs, then you have no vision. If you have no vision, then why should people be buying this thing that's supposed to last forever? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, There's so much. Do you feel um, in the art world, physical, Mm -hmm. fine art, what have you, to kind of counterbalance a little bit are do people buy a lot of bullshit there? Yeah, no, I think people do buy bullshit in the, in the real art world, but it's usually a very targeted few in the sense. Okay. So for perspective, Mark Rothko, I love that artist because he did like some super challenging work where he would though, he really believed it. So um, like abstract minimalism and, but the people that bought it only bought it because it was hot. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really care. And actually, that's why he ended his life to some degree was because the work that he was so passionate about, people wouldn't understand. Mm-hmm. And so he never even got his chance to tell his why. No, he did tell his why. He wrote a book. He, he wrote um, The Artist Reality, which is an incredible and, book. And people didn't care. They, the they connection wasn't made. Between, they don't care. Yeah. They just don't care. Art collectors and people of a certain elitism, they, just, they don't care why. They just cared about the fact that, oh, it was hot at the time. Um, so like you're going to have this conflict between people that are buying trends and only are in it for the trends and, and reputation. And then you're going to have people that really understand what someone is trying to do. And we appreciate Mark Rothko today because of his story, that's whole story. It wasn't because it was a hot trend. It was Mm -hmm. 
and it's sad actually like that whole like I'm sure that even adds to the value of the experience was the fact that he cared so much about it that he committed suicide that's really tragic but um there's there's artists that I feel like if yeah so just going back to the the point that you just should not be participating if or at least take the opportunity to learn yeah like yeah. there's no like why like if if you it's not that hard it's not that hard to learn about this new space like totally. if you were going to be painting on canvas you would learn about like this new craft mm-hmm. so yeah. i I, I bring it up a lot and it I, it applies true to everything in life i'd say but education and patience because i talk about in cards crazy things have happened to the value of these cards like literally cardboard in a piece of plastic you know and then here's one which is like michael jordan going to you know and it's like fifty thousand dollars right and then people see that and they're like well, it was 20. So I'm going to buy it. Boom. And like no care in the world other than just, well, I'm going to make money. It happens in Bitcoin too, right? You buy Bitcoin at $58,000. It goes to 48 and you're like, what the, this was supposed to go to 68. Yep. And do you, I guess a couple of ways I want to take it to, if you're listening to this, how this can help. Do you have any favorite resources to play into the education and patience aspect. I swear to God, the only thing that is going to help you is just doing it. Like learn how to do it. There's enough tools. So OpenSea, which is one of the best marketplaces out there, it's the aggregator basically of all marketplaces in the NFT space, has something called the NFT Bible. So read that and then create your own NFTs. I don't care if it's from some sort of dumb anon account, like anon mm-hmm. account, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just start participating to some degree as far as the functionality and like the process. Mm-hmm. From there, you will be able to identify why are other things selling versus, you know, other things available. Mm-hmm. You can start thinking about what is attractive? What is the user going for? There's going to be a few things like one can be brand that a pre-existing brand that's really valuable, but there will be some that are just creative and those creative strategies and, and the reasons of the utilization of these different NFTs that is non-conventional. Um, and then also like there's projects to pay attention to like async art, ETH block art, art block, um, beyond NFT. These are all that are pursuing the future of programmatic NFTs, dynamic NFTs. Um, Today, we already have where you can render HTML, CSS, JavaScript straight into an NFT experience, into a mini game that is an NFT. And so the static experience of buying a brand is like just the, the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. The best thing you can do for yourself is to actually walk through the path of doing, and it's not hard. The thing is, is that these things are not hard. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, some of the gatekeeping though here is that, for example, with OpenSea, in order to set up a collection, it is $150 to set up your mm-hmm. um, collection because of the smart contract that is required. But once you do that, you can mint as many NFTs as you want without any cost because they have the something called the gasless minter. 
you have other marketplaces too you can participate in. If you're a famous artist, you can try to get into super rare. But I, I think for the most casual person, just interacting and being a creator yourself is going to teach you faster about this space than anything else. And, um, and, and the, the sad part is that I would, I would feel very sad as being an early founder participant in this, in this community to see the conversation just become completely degenerate that people treat it like an ICO craze of 2017 yeah. where NFTs actually and everyone around us and a lot of your people that have been here have an incredible amount of integrity. And we're here because of the right reasons. And so even though if people come in for a cash grab, it does not invalidate the actual value that is here. It's just going to take time. Mm -hmm. And before I let you go, because I could just talk with you for hours and I know we're busy people, that what you just spoke on uh, was kind of the creator side, the artist side. And then I think there's this kind of window or bridge, not that validates i think that's completely the wrong word but from a marketplace you need both buyers and sellers right mm -hmm. and so curators or collectors in some abstract way are also a bit creatives as a buyer or a collector how would you maybe frame that same thing up to me it's just reps right like it, i always tell people cards now all these people hit me up should i buy this is this worth something i'm like well there's one way you're going to know and start to be able to do these things yourself is like one buy it willing for it to be worth nothing like say so, you know like when i sit down at a blackjack table i'm like cool i'm putting 400 dollars on the table that's my cost of entertainment if it goes to zero i'm like that was fun what would you say for um maybe a, a fine art collector that is intrigued by what's going on and wants to maybe try their hand at collecting digital assets. It doesn't, this actually the story doesn't change. I think, so if you think about it with investment, um, people that are really great investments that manage incredible funds were entrepreneurs at one point or another. Mm -hmm. They weren't all of a sudden just investors or VCs. Mm -hmm. And if they are, they're probably shit investors or VCs. Mm -hmm. Like they, yeah. the best ones actually walk the path of being an entrepreneur. So honestly, I I think that- like They've lived you, it. They've gone through yeah, the Yeah, they've lived it. And if you're not going, you're not, if you're not willing to actually walk through the process of one, interacting with dApps, minting your own NFTs, what is the functionality? Where, what are the limitations? How hard is it to market? If you, if you can't, if you're not willing to do those, like that due diligence, I really don't think that you have any business buying any NFT or experience because that is those educational points. Like you have to go through that entrepreneurial experience in order to understand what you're actually talking about. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that, then like you're probably going to be coming at this from just buying what everyone else is saying. Mm -hmm. If you want to buy what everyone else is saying, then you better really believe in these people you're, you're like betting on. Yeah. Makes sense. So, so I'm sorry, like, I guess no. like my, my content, it's not just about content creators. It's about really just understanding. Yeah. And, um, and the it, why, which yeah. we talked about on the upfront of this a lot and something I'm passionate about with work and, and what I'm doing is like, can we take a step back and just ask why? And that's not coming from a one man or woman's point of view at like a, a like a loaded why of like a gotcha. Like you walked right into my trap. It's more of like, can we sit here and 
have an open debate as to why. If you were a digital artist uh, and you saw this coming, it was clear. The why is clear. Uh, if you are a technologist that understands crypto, has been in the crypto space, the why is clear. If you are a game developer or game gamer and you understand virtual asset ownership, the why is pretty clear. Um, combining the aspects and then actually making the functionality work and sustainable is hard, mm -hmm. possible, but hard. Um, and being creative. So like you have to take some of these winning pieces and put together a strategy as far as like the why we're unlocking. It's, it's amazing what we're unlocking. It's just don't get caught in the trap that like the hype cycle part of it, mm -hmm. which, which is, I think, gotten out of control to some, mm -hmm. to some degree um, because it doesn't negate the actual value in this, in the work that we have all been doing for over four years. Yeah. So um, being conscientious of your contribution, just like in all open source projects or works, be conscientious of how can you contribute? What is your strength? And when you explore that and what is your value add to the experience, you'll start unlocking little wins that will be insightful for you if regardless of you being a content creator or an investor. And both of those things will introduce you to people in the space that are also of a similar mind to create a network effect at this early age of people that are going to be growing together. Um, I have in that mentality found some of the most stunning stars that have proven time and time again to be like great plays, like just by following your heart. And you can only do that by walking the steps. You can only find those people by walking the steps. Mm -hmm. And then you find people that resonate with you and then everybody grows together. And that's been the magic of not only just the Bitcoin space, but the Ethereum space, just these, these places where people come from a very honest place. I love it. I think that's a, that's a, a, a good way to wrap it all up and I'll, I'll let you go. And I, um, I appreciate it. I thank you. Uh, I, I'm leaving this very inspired myself and, and excited. And um, I hope we have many, more conversations down the road and if we can do anything or I can do anything to support what you're up to and be collaborative and involved I'd love to be able to help absolutely absolutely and uh, if you have nfts that you want to make and you're excited about I'm absolutely available to give you my feedback or like where this might fit in in other places love it sounds good I appreciate it thank you This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.